Please be advised that this episode of Scream Queens deals with conversion therapy and conversion camps. So we'll be discussing some very real psychological, physical, and spiritual abuse. So if you're alone and you're scared and you need help, there's always someone ready to listen at thetrevorproject.org. So please reach out and contact them. I love you just the way you are. Let's do a show. This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified. Unique. Voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello. My name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is season 14, episode one. And what are we up to tonight? Well, remember last episode? You managed to escape from Camp Whistler, but tonight... Nobody gets out of Abraham house. We are continuing our look at conversion therapy, horror and gay conversion camps with the 2022 film Children of Sin, written and directed by Christopher Wesley Moore from Homos on Haunted Hill. And because of the delicate nature of the subject matter, I am delighted to have my guests back from last time. Two extremely wise, kind hearted, compassionate people who also really get off on horror movies. Pastor Fabulous himself, the Reverend Ben Fitzgerald Fye and Tara Gardner. But before we get down to business, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I have been your guide to the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But you are going to have to see them through my very gay little eyes. Ha! 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 Gay evil laughter. So welcome back, everybody. So great to see you again. And hey, if you're new, an extra special welcome. Come on in, sit down, get comfy. Everybody's really friendly. A little weird around the edges, but mostly pretty friendly. So we've got a lot of show to get to today. So I don't want to bog things down too much here at the top, but I do want to let you know that this particular episode, when we recorded, I was suffering from some COVID brain fog. I'm a little off my base. But the thing is, I did not want to cancel the session because I'd already had to cancel a session with Pastor Ben and Tara because I hadn't been feeling well a few days before and I didn't want to break the momentum that we already had because for those of you who were here last episode, Ben, Tara, and I talked about the big budgeted Kevin Bacon queer conversion camp slasher movie, They Them. And one of the things I want to do this season is take two pieces of queer horror cinema that have some sort of similar theme. Sometimes the theme's obvious, sometimes it's not. It's all part of my twisted little plan, but I want to put them head to head and compare and contrast them and see what we can learn. And I thought it was very important to keep these same guests, especially for this subject matter, because they have levels of compassion and sensitivity that I can only dream about. Even though tonight's movie is fun, the subject matter is upsetting. And for those of you who've listened to the show for a while, you'll know when I start to get upset and disturbed, I'll start cracking jokes because if I don't, I will start crying. It's my defense mechanism. It's how I survive. When it starts to hurt too much, I start cracking jokes. So if you hear me being insensitive, I'm not. I'm just trying to get to that show. But that's why Ben and Tara are here, to take the edge off me being an asshole. Anyway, if you have not seen Children of Sin, 
I highly recommend you stop now. Go watch the movie on Tubi. It's free. And then come back and join us because the discussion that we're having isn't so much about the plot and the characters and how everybody dies and how gory everything is. It really gets into the deeper stuff. So you might have a difficult time following the story without having seen the movie first, but you should watch the movie anyway. Support independent queer horror cinema because this is where the magic happens, right? Of course, people. If you have any reservations about watching Children of Sin, because I've, I've, I've had some comments on the various social media, I want to let you know that we in this session throw around the word torture quite liberally because these are torture camps. They're psychological, physical, and spiritually torturous to the people that go through this process. Not just the camps, but conversion therapy in general. You know, the, the camps are just one way conversion therapy manifests, but we're not talking about hostile type torture here. It's not torture porn. It's not that kind of exploitation. Yes, it is exploitive, but it's exploitive to be expository. If that's the word I'm using, if I'm using that word right, it need, these things need to be exposed because they are very real horrors that are really happening to real people right now. But the other thing that you should know is that even though Children of Sin is about this horrible place that does horrible things that happen in the real world and is exposing all this psychological, spiritual, and physical torture, it still manages to be a heck of a lot of fun. So if you're having any reservations about sitting through 90 minutes of bleak, hopeless torture porn, you're not going to get that here. That's not what this movie is. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop the podcast now, head on over to Tubi. We'll wait for you. Come back and enjoy the discussion. I think that's all I've got for now. So the trailer for Children of Sin was just a teaser trailer, and it was almost all music. So instead of playing the trailer... We're going to start the discussion right after this. Get ready for a Scream Queen's call to action. Question for you. What is conversion therapy? Conversion therapy is a program that promises to be able to change an individual's sexual orientation or their gender identity or their gender expression in order to match with heterosexual and cisgender norms, often tied to religious extremism. They're going to teach you that you can pray the gay away. The problem is you can't. Conversion therapy is junk science meets Christian extremism. And every major institution in the world has debunked it, calling it barbaric, irreparably damaging, and potentially Deadly. Conversion therapy kills. But most importantly, it doesn't work. It's never worked. And yet, here's everywhere it's still legal and being actively practiced in the United States. Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Arizona, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. South Carolina, Indiana, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, all five U.S. territories, Samoa, Mariana Islands, Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Did you know that if you live in one of those states that we just mentioned, there's something you can do about it. Message the word resist to at ResistBot on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and let your representatives know that you want conversion therapy in all its forms abolished in your state. I put the links to ResistBot down there in the show notes. I even put sample text for you down there in the show notes. All you got to do is message ResistBot, copy, paste, and send. It'll take 30 seconds, and it's free. Please make your voice heard, because silence still equals death. Let's talk about a movie. I couldn't let you leave. No! 
love you yet. So for this episode, we're going to be continuing on with our theme of gay conversion camp horror. Last time we took a look at the big budgeted film that made a big splash that everybody was talking about. They slashed them. Oh, Kevin Bacon's coming back to horror and Bloomhouse is doing it. It's got a big budget and it's got a whole cast of queer actors. It's got to be great. And well, if you listen to the last episode, you know there were problems. So I thought it might be interesting to compare it with another film that came out at almost the exact same time, a little ditty called Children of Sin, directed and written by Christopher Moore, who we all know and love from the Homos on Haunted Hill podcast. And I thought it was important since we're going to be doing like a compare and contrast and putting these films head to head that I keep the same set of guests for continuity and just because I like to look at their faces and hear their voices in my ears. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of my GNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to the Scream Queen studio, Tara Gardner and Pastor Fabulous Ben Fitzgerald. Bye. everybody are you ready to go back to camp <laughs> are you ready for the summer are you ready for the sunshine oh what wacky times we'll have short shooting bunk beds playing slap the sin stick i don't know what to say <laughs> um thank you both for coming back thank you both for being game for doing a double header of this uh potentially um unpleasant subject matter thank you for having me one of the reasons i really wanted to do these two films together is because children of sin We'd heard about it for so long that Christopher was working on it. He was so excited, and the the, uh, the release date was coming up, and he's beaming with pride about it. It's, like, I, it's the first horror movie that's dealing with a gay conversion camp, and it's really personal, and I'm really proud of my work. And literally, like two oh. weeks before it came out, they then were like, and we're just going to release this now. Mm. Yeah. Oh, did you have any thunder? Not anymore. Hmm. And it's a shame. It is a shame. It is a shame, because I'm just going to say it. Wait no, I'm not going to say it right off the top. Ben, you got let off the hook last time. I did. So, Ben, I need you to give me a nice tie, 30-second back of the DVD plot summary of the film Children of Sin. The clock starts now. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Okay, so siblings Emma and Jackson are sent to Abraham House, uh, which is a conversion campy-type house by their wicked stepfather, I guess, and their mother, uh, where they fall under the <clears throat> psychotic... Um, mentorship of Mary Esther. Um, they find out, of course, that Abraham House is a nightmare place. And so now they find out, they are, now they're trying to escape uh, to save themselves and their mom. But who can really be saved, right? Well done. Well done. I tried to have a funny thing to say, and it just was not there. Because <laughs> <laughs> in this movie, nope. nobody. Yeah. <laughs> nobody. Um, Tara, do you have anything you wanted to add to that? Um, this is a really good example of maybe not having the money, but having the heart and the drive, and it making all the difference. Concur. Amen. Concur. Because what I was going to say before I, I, I had Ben do the summary is that I'm shocked that this movie that is, that, that is rough around the edges, that is a micro-budget film, Wait, 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 wait. All the stuff that they slash them got wrong, this movie actually got right. And not just got it right, but they extrapolated on it and took it further to a place of horror. Ben, sorry. Guys. No, no, I think I think to Tara's point, I mean, this to me, this movie proves, right, the idea that the sort of underdoggy, um, low-budgeted indie-type films are the only ones willing to tell the truth. Um, because there was more truth in this movie, right, which is a horror movie, uh, than I saw in 
anything of the last one, right? So I just think it is a superior spirit um, in dealing with this subject matter. And I, I can't believe I hadn't seen it till now, frankly. Because it even had little things down to the small insidious things they tell people. Like when one guy is talking to Jackson going, oh, it's all just because you didn't have a strong male role model. That's all you wanted. Right. So you're telling me I acted out on my homosexual urges because I long for a father figure in my life? It's a classic story. So you see, your, your mother has been your only stable parental figure for most of your life. But... I can change? I'd like to think so, if you want it hard enough. Will Robbie stay if I change? That, I do not know. But I like to think he will. Jackson, I've been where you are. Okay, trust me, I believe in you. And I remembered a TV show I watched like 15 years ago about how conversion camps and conversion therapy was bullshit. And the therapist in that, they had a video of it, saying nearly the exact same thing. And it just like washed back that memory. And I was like, oh my, that is such a truth. They start with this little tiny insidious thing and then their way in. Tara, that particular line of bullshit, they have been laying on gay men for a hundred years. That was the definitive psychological hypothesis of what caused homosexuality when it was still considered a disease. So I've heard that my entire life from Every possible source from psychologists, from doctors to, you know, people on talk shows. And just that was the generic answer to the question is because he had an absent father and an overbearing mother. And actually now looking back at that now, of course, I had an absentee father and, and an overbearing mother. I'm a Gen Xer. It was built into the system. Our dads were always away working and our moms were home 24 hours a day. So why we don't have an entire generation of homosexuals is beyond me, if that's the theory. But that's not the theory anymore. It wasn't until like the 90s where I started to hear the question of nature versus nurture, where maybe it's a little bit of the overbearing mother. Maybe, maybe there's something they're born with as well that we don't know about yet. But anyway, so that particular line that Christopher as Hank spits out is 100 percent accurate. It's just horribly outdated. Yeah. And this movie just does like I mean, it does psychotic better to me was such a great display of the kind of broken, twisted sort of brains that do this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get into the individual actors later, but I mean the, you know, just the, the overarching, I think it conveyed all the stuff I wanted the other movie to convey. Um, because it was, it was not hindered by, by the sort of trappings of big budget stuff. Um, it was able to just do what it needed to do. Um, and it did it unapologetically uh, and mercilessly. Um, I mean, this this was a, a slow but intense burn, right, the whole way through with the big things on top of it. So I just thought it was it was masterfully done. I agree. I agree. On, on subsequent viewings, like the first time I watched, I got hung up on the low budget stuff. But then when I saw it in comparison with they, them, I really saw how strong everything was. Messing with these kids' heads, was in every fiber of that place, destroying them from the inside out. From the second you walk in, every little thing, every little thing you encounter is there to break you down. Even if it looks friendly, even if it looks nice, everything's poison, everything's deadly. And it's all your fault, by the way. Yeah, and it plays on the same kind of like, the, the kids just want their parents to be happy, right? They want to do this because they don't want to disappoint people. 
where they they have accepted the idea that they need to be changed in some way, right? And so the way you can manipulate that kind of longing to be loved is is really horrifying. Mom, what is this place? You guys trust me, right? And you know that I love you both so, so much. And we can't, we can't let you go to hell. <laughs> go to hell? It's okay, baby. We can fix this. We can fix this all together, okay? If you just do what you're supposed to do. What is it we'd be doing? You just have to listen to Mary Esther. She works for the church, and she knows how things are done. Did he put you up to this? I called your school, and I told him that we had a family emergency, and nobody has to know about this. It can just be our secret in. There's nothing wrong with us, Mom. What about you, Jackson? Do you think that you could be a good boy and you could mind all of the rules? Well, if it makes you happy. Oh, baby, you would. And if Robbie thinks it'll work. So what about you, Emma? Do you think you can be good? I don't want to be here, Mom. Okay, okay. Well, then let's go. Let's just get in the car and let's drive around until we run out of gas. And then we can find a nice overpass that we can live under. Would you like that, Jackson? Or you could just stay here for three days, just until Friday. Just until I can save up enough that I can get us a place. It would just be the three of us, like it used to be. No, Robbie. The choice is yours. And how, like, sometimes with the parents, it's not even really that they care if their child is different, just if they look and act the way. They're more worried about their own image than the well-being of their child. They just don't want it getting around. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want the neighbors talking. That's yeah. nothing new. That's nothing new. The old, the old, what do they call it? The, um, uh, the disappointments rooms, all that stuff. You ship the weird ones away and or lock them up in a wall somewhere. It also addresses the fundamental cause of the epidemic of LGBT teen homelessness in this country that continues to go on uncurtailed. Because mm, mm-hmm. uh, now nobody's studying it. You know, the pand- uh, Trump came along and uh, shut down all the programs that were looking into it, and then the pandemic happened. So now homelessness is just so out of control that the specifics of LGBT kids isn't getting the attention it deserves. But Working on those uh, fundraisers, like I did, I learned the situation inside and out that almost all of it is because of religious stuff. Yeah. And more specifically and overwhelmingly, Christianity. Well, yeah. I mean, I even thought that like, you know, because it's a horror movie, right? So there's horrible stuff that happens. And, you know, even if you take the realistic idea of these conversion camps and you add to that that horror element, right, where these horrific things happen – I still think it's more honest, right? Because this does kill people, right? Maybe not with an axe, maybe not with a knife, uh, but it kills people. And, and the horrific things that happen in this movie are the things that happen. Right. Oh, definitely. They're not making anything up. I mean, it might come across as exploitative. It, I mean, the movie is playing along the lines of exploitation, 100%, for a reason. Mm-hmm. Ding dong, Patrick from the future here. This is when my brain fog was starting to kick in a bit. And I didn't really say what I wanted to say here. So what I was going, what I was driving at is that, yes, 
Children of Sin uses what goes on in the conversion camps in a way that could be labeled as exploitive. But as we learned with movies such as Amba, when I talked about Amba with Aaron Quill, horror can be a great vehicle for introducing difficult topics for discussion in a way that's more easily palatable. Because when you sit down to a horror movie, the last thing you want is a lecture. They slash them lectured and didn't give a particularly good lecture. This movie just presents its case. This is what goes on. I'm showing you this to horrify you, but also to maybe inspire you to do something about it in a way that won't make you feel like I'm trying to get you to do something about it. It gets the core of things because it's actually showing what really happened. Yeah, it's 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 exploitation. Because- when it when it when it comes to those moments of uh, of torture, psychological stuff, they're not big, huge set pieces. They're not big, gory things. They're not big and shocking. They're instead they're presented as part of the mundane fabric of day to day life at Camp Abraham at Abraham House, and that's where the horror of these scenes lie for me. The fact that it's just just another day on the schedule. This is the way we tortured the kids on Tuesday, and we don't have to worry about repeating because we won't have these kids next Tuesday. They'll all be gone one way or another. They'll be gone. And the fact that it's just woven into the life here in in this quiet way makes it feel like these things are normal, which they are very much not. That makes it so much more shocking for me than if it was this huge, big, gory set piece, because, you know, a huge, big, gory set piece is only going to happen once. But this is every day. Just awful. Well, it's exploitative because people are being exploited, right? I mean, like this is that's what these things, these places do, right? This is exploitation at its most cruel and most true, horrific. True, true, true. And, and, you know, the horror, the horror idea that people die Right. Even that's honest here. Right. Plenty of people die as a result. of. And there's also the subtlety throughout the film. The very first shot is a missing poster and it ends with like about the Abraham house, a a sign for it. But throughout the thing, you begin to realize that the reason the people at this camp, Abraham house can do what they do is either a, the parents won't care if their children are killed. They sent them there to die or B, if they sent them there not to die, if they're told they ran away, They'll believe it and never report it. And really, that's far more true in reality than a lot of people want to believe that people could turn their kids out, not know where they are, and just be kind of okay with it. And you hear that now when people are doing DNA DNA tests and finding missing people from 20, 30 years ago, where they're just like, oh, well, he left. We just figured he left and they were murdered. Jumping to the end, uh, because we're here. Um the big reveal at the end is that that uh, Pastor Ben tapped into is that this camp is not really a conversion camp. It's it's a one way ticket. Yeah, you're not supposed to come out of it. During the they slash them episode, Pastor Ben repeatedly referred to conversion camps as concentration camps for queer kids, and it's really sunk in since we recorded that how true. That really is about these camps. But the added horror that Chris Moore has added to this particular script is that, oh, there's not just concentration camps for queer kids out there. There are death camps for queer kids out there, too. Um, nobody really cares if you come out of it. If you, don't, if you don't make it through, that's fine. If you make it through, great. You could be on the poster. But if you don't make it through, nobody's going to miss you. And nobody really minds what Mary Esther does because she, she's doing it for the good of the community. But it's really not that big a logical leap. No. Not at all. To go from gay confusion camp to gay extermination camp. Yeah. And that was the horror of it for me. My good Lord, that is the next logical step. And probably there's 
they're out there. Well, and that's the narrative, I right? Would not I be mean, surprised. Our, our political narrative right now, right? The idea is, well, you can change and be like us, or you can die, and we're fine either way. It also helps that for the sake of the film, they have it related to one specific church. So I have a nice time with my family, and I look over to the concession line, and there are two men holding hands. Two men, mind you, just carrying on like a normal couple, like there's nothing wrong with them. Bunch of sickos. Now I ask you, should we let these people run around and do what they want? Should we let these people get to us and get to our children? Because that's what they'll do. They'll stop Jackson. nothing to take us down with them. Where's that sister stop yours? Nothing to infect us with their sin. It is up to us to make sure that our children are not practicing sin. Our very livelihood depends on this. And it's that uh, Emma and Jackson's mother married this guy, Robbie, and he brought them into this church. This camp is run by this church. All the other kids who are there, their parents belong to this church, tithe to this church. So it's almost like someone left a more mainstream church to start their own because they were probably told what they're doing was pretty shitty in their own church. And they're like, you can't tell me what to do. God talks directly to me. And this makes lots of money. And it does. This makes lots and lots and lots of money. This is a very lucrative field. Um, one of the things I just want to, I want to applaud Chris Moore for in his writing um, is that he foreshadows the ending of the film, that it's a death camp with the name of the house. It's the Abraham house. Yeah. What's Abraham famous for? Killing his kid. Almost. Because God told him to. I know. Just God told him. <laughs> well, they almost killed these kids. But yeah. I said, clever boy. Clever boy. It also helps that, you know, that uh, Chris is from the South and it's shot in Mississippi and it's, it's right in the heart of where the shit goes on. So it's kind of baked into the wood panel paradise of the walls of his establishment. That we're in. <laughs> there was a lot of that, wasn't there? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what this place was that they were in. It's not a hotel. It's not a VFW. It, it, it looks like a rec room from 1968, and I love it. It's a massive basement. It's yeah, it was a weird, weird, weird floor plan. That's for sure. Like it had like a central area and then broke off in like spokes, kind of. <laughs> And both movies had like an a on-site gardener. That is a weird tie-in <laughs> right. between the two. Well, one was just here for eye candy. True. <laughs> okay. Um, why don't we get into a bit of the uh, the film itself? One of the things that I I did not like my first time through, but now I've realized is part of Chris's style. Um, and again, it's part of, I'm thinking it's probably because of his Southern background and just the way uh, – personalities are different and the way people speak differently and the way time moves down there. Chris likes a long, long, long setup scene. <laughs> like, it's a good 40 minutes before we get to the camera. The first time I was watching, I'm like, is, are, are we getting a slasher movie? Is this just a family drama? <laughs> yeah, right. It was, <laughs> I was promised crazy, crazy religious ladies with axes and all I'm getting is <laughs> girls with fabulous smoky eyes and press on fingernails <laughs> and hot dogs for dinner with cake. Ding dong, Patrick from the future. Again, something that I was heading towards but did not actually get to say is that now that I've seen the movie a few times, I realize that all of that stuff in that introductory section needs to be there in order for the horror to ring later on. We'll get into that later in the discussion, but I just want to say that, yes, all that stuff is necessary. 
So if you're a New York minute impatient Yankee like me, relax. Have a little patience with the beginning of the movie and you will be rewarded later on. I promise. Back to the show. It's the second time I watched it, I did kind of break it up into like three acts. And that was sort of my act break when the mom takes the two kids to the camp, which is nearly how I've heard it be done a lot, where kids are woken in the middle of the night by strangers and taken there, except this time it was their mom, sort of whisking them away in the night, not knowing what's happening or anything like that. And that was my break point. And then I went through the camp parts and then I break point. And then when they left <laughs> was the last. Right. I, I also appreciate the fact that the camp wasn't an actual camp because normally they're they're not summer camps, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like they are in they, them. That's not that's not how they are. I think that term is used very loosely, and this was more like more of a compound than anything else. Um, so tell me about Emma. Tell me about Jackson. Um, Emma and Jackson are siblings, and from conversation they have, we kind of understand that for a long time they lived with their grandmother. And mom wasn't there. At least Emma's father's dead. We don't know about Jackson. Um, they are clearly half siblings. Jackson is black. Emma is white. So it is implied through other things they say that maybe mom was not always as a responsible, upstanding citizen that she likes everyone right. to think she is. Mm-hmm. And well, no, well, no, until she found Robbie. Robbie saved exactly. them. Rob, I, I, Robbie I, brought her home. Robbie brought her home to Jesus. That apartment we were looking at last year in Madison is for rent again. I saw it last night when I drove by it with Rachel. I don't think Robbie's looking to move anytime soon. No, I meant just a place for us to go. Just you, me, and Jackson. Sweetie, what is it with the two of you? I thought you liked him. It's just... I just think you could do better. Oh, sweetie. Robbie takes care of me. Of us. We don't have to worry about when we're going to eat or where we're going to sleep at night. And I mean, it's not like there are hundreds of men wanting to marry a woman my age with two kids, you know? He's just so... Okay, Emma, I am not going to have this conversation with you. We are lucky that Robbie walked into our lives because without him, we wouldn't have the church. And with the church, we will always have a family. We already had a family, Mom. We should probably say until Robbie chose her. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was probably an easy mark. Yeah. She had two kids, and he kind of was interested in one more than the other, as we learn that Emma is pregnant. She had two kids, and she could never go back to the Olive Garden. Nope. <laughs> I want to know what happened to the Olive Garden. <laughs> uh, we find out Emma's pregnant. She's freaking out about it. And it later, through a dream sequence, becomes clear that it was Robbie who did it to her. Ding dong, Patrick from the future here, just clarifying a few things. Yes, Emma is pregnant, but the thing that really sets things off is when her mom finds her pregnancy test in the trash and Emma is asking for advice about abortion. And that's what's going to get her set off to camp. Anyway, back to the show. Just wanted to clear that up. I was just trying to figure out a plan. I'm going to have to tell Robbie. No, 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 no. Please. I've been doing some research on how much abortion costs. You want to kill your baby. Come on, Mom. It's not like you didn't have a couple of your own back in the day. Why 
can't you just be more like your brother, Emma? Just drama-free! Jackson is really into guys and hates it because he hates himself right now because he's being told that it's the wrong thing. And Emma's really the only person who is supportive of who he really is. Why are you giving him such a hard time? Why do you like him so much? He comes to my football games, buys me new shoes, helps me with my homework. Yeah, but haven't you noticed how mom's changed since she met him? I mean, come on, she wasn't exactly cooking us home-cooked meals and going to Bible retreats. We were lucky to get a soggy bag of McDonald's at the end of the day. Well, before we went to go live with Grammy. And all this religious stuff? Is there something wrong with being religious? Grammy was, your dad was, maybe mine was too. You know, for some reason, I don't think mom stuck around long enough to find out what their favorite Bible verses were. You don't think it's cool having a dad around? Someone who'll be there for our graduations? Or weddings? Oh, a wedding! Are you and that cute guy from the speech and debate team still talking? That's gross. Why? I thought you two were cute together. You still talk to him? Why would I do that? That's a sin. (laughs) Come on. You know, Jackson, you used to laugh a lot more before Robbie was around. be nice to hear you laugh again. Come on, Jackson. You used to always be on my side. Why can't you be on my side here? Because being on your side always seems to get me into trouble. And it kind of is implied that maybe Grandma would have too. And that if Grandma hadn't died and they'd gone and lived with Mom, they would be a lot better off. At least that's what I kind of got. Damn dying grandma. One of my favorite things in any movie is an awkward dinner scene. And we get a couple of them here. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we have nothing but awkward meal scenes. Like it's it's kind of like the cornerstone. But in this one, this my favorite little, uh, my first bit of dialogue that is latched on to said, I love this movie, was when Robbie goes, so I hear you've been running around with that Rachel McKinney girl again. Your brother tells me that you were out with some colorful characters last night. Are you still running around with that Rachel McKinney? I hear she's a bit of a loose girl, big into drugs, lots of boyfriends, and that mother. So what? I like her. I don't know if her mother allows that kind of talk at their dinner table, but uh, that's not something that's going to be happening in this house. Do you understand? I hear she she (laughs) runs around with colorful characters. Does lots of drugs, loves having sex with strangers, and hates Jesus. <laughs> well, yep, that's Rachel McKenney. Yep, that's, that's, she's yes. she's known she's known for that. Tran- <laughs> Translation: She kissed a boy once and had full caffeine coke. Good old Rachel, if you know her. I mean, woof. I heard that Rachel McKenney didn't wear taupe hose to Sunday services last week. I heard that Rachel McKenney wore nude hose. And if you wear nude hose in the house of the Lord, then you might as well have gone to church naked. <laughs> there's these long scenes with Emma just pleading with her mom, like, please, just, would, could we just maybe, I don't trust him. Maybe we could get an, another apartment that's just for us that we can just go to when he gets bad. Because I guess apparently he has, he has a spell. Those little, those little snippets of the brainwashing that the mother's been through. 
Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that is, and that's that's really subtle and fun. Robbie says that with the church, we'll I'll, we'll always have a family. We are a family, but it's not Robbie's family, right? <laughs> they nearly have Jackson with it too, and that's the really scary thing because it's almost like Emma's alone in it. It's a sin, Jackson says, right? It's a sin. He wants to belong so badly to the family, and you can understand it. He wants his mother to love him, and his sister does too, but. She's just not willing to make those sacrifices and she shouldn't have to. Yeah. And you see that Robbie's treating him fairly well. He's getting fishing poles. He's getting to go on fishing trips. He's getting jewelry. He's getting all kinds of things. He's, he's, he's the model son. He's, oh, why are you just calling me Robbie business? We could start calling me dad. Robbie, you didn't have to give me this. You just got me that fishing pole last week. Hey, forget about this Robbie business. It's going to be dad by next Sunday. Might as well start getting used to it. You too, Emma. All of us sitting here with awkward face. (laughs) Robbie is so gross. I mean, you know, like, I mean, from the moment I saw him, I was so deeply unsettled. Um, And like everything he does and says is just so icky and, you know, if, if we didn't know anything about him, we would probably assume the same things about him. I mean, he's just so creepy and so predatory and so, you know, so clearly doing what he's doing. Right. I mean, and it's it's you want to say that it's unrealistic, but it's not right. Because, I mean, we see this happening all the time. Like people are manipulated like this constantly. And he's and, and, and this to me was so, so true to how this happens to people. Uh, and relentless. Re- yes, relentless. I have I have a certain relative that I'm not allowed to talk about on the show anymore who's very much like this, who is weaponized religion, and it's a control mechanism at all oh, times. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And you can tell he probably specifically was looking for a single mother. That's why so many women now are told, do not mention or put photos of your children online if you are trying to date. Because these guys will look specifically they will love bomb they will tell you everything you want to know and then you're like in this first scene suddenly all having to sit in the same room together watching what he wants bringing him things because you have to make him happy because what happens when he's not happy (sighs) well and you know the interesting thing too about him is in a way like i mean you know with with the actual abraham house situation right he's kind of removed from it, right? Because he doesn't have to do that. He can get her to do it, right? I mean, he doesn't have to be the one, you know, that takes them to the house. She, she'll do it, right? Um, he's got he's got TV to watch. He's sure. got other things yeah. to do. You know, you deal with the You made him. You go deal with him. You you made the little devil children. You clean them up. And, and yeah, and I mean, that's, what, that's what's so insidious, right? Is that the idea that you can get other folks, right, to do this stuff. Um, because you're so good at destroying their will. Uh, and, and that's horrendous. Contracting out your dirty work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boys like that, God don't love them. Yep. I wrote that down too. So despite all his declarations that homosexuality is a sin, despite all his efforts to be what Robbie and the church wants him to be, Jackson is still a young homosexual man and gets busted by Robbie watching pornography. Jackson, do you know that what you did is wrong? Boys like that. God doesn't love them. 
What's going on? Last night, we... Robbie found your brother engaging in adult conversation with another boy. So what? He likes boys. What's the big deal? Come on, Mom. I thought that was a given after he was Cinderella for Halloween in second grade. Do you think your brother's eternal damnation is funny? Do you think it's something to laugh about? Just because you're going to hell doesn't mean you're going to take the rest of us with you. Robbie, stop it! You didn't discipline these kids enough. That's what's wrong with me. And I mean, it's as simple as that, right? I mean, like, if, if you have even the inclination, right, of God, right, if you have even the inclination that God is a thing in your life and somebody tells you God hates you, right, that is, you don't have to say much more than that, right? Like, th I mean, that does so much damage just standing alone, right? Especially, especially if somebody is, right, wanting to have faith in something and wanting to believe in something. And now you tell them that thing hates them. Like, I mean, that is just a devastating thing to do to the, to the human soul and to do it. So, so sort of glibly at the, at the dinner or the dinner table or wherever. Right. I mean, it's so horrific and that's what happens every day. And then send them to a place that says, we can give you all the answers to fix this. Mary Esther knows what she's doing. Oh, oh she does. What a Mary Esther's making it up as she goes along, and I love her. I love Mary <laughs> Esther. She's the kind of villain you love to hate. Yeah, she's, she's the MacGyver of of torture, right? I mean, she she's she's she'll figure it out. Serving up that flavor aid. <laughs> she knows the handbook. She's unflappable <laughs> when the kids throw something in, in a monkey wrench into the works. Nope, she's unflappable. Yeah. She's always got something ready to go on the side. And when things get too much, okay, this is getting too much. I'm just going to have to just kill it. Oh, just out. Just <laughs> and it's on you. You made me do it. And she is like, I, this is one of the best characters I've seen in a long time. And, and the actress playing her is phenomenal. Ding dong. Patrick from the future chiming in here. I 100% agree with what Pastor Ben just said. The actress playing Mary Esther is 100% phenomenal. Everything that you want in a horror movie villain. And I want to make sure that she gets the credit that she deserves. The actress's name is Joanne Robinson. My TR is tipped to you. Back to the show. And and to me, she really is kind of that unpredictable psychopath, right? Like she's always perched on the edge of about to do something, right? And so, and but, and so joyful about it and so happy about it. And, you know, she has the, she just really displays that kind of benevolent sociopath, right? Uh, that is just waiting to prey on people. Um, and, but at the same time, is so clearly messed up in her head, right? And it's so clear. Uh, but it's so terrifying. You're here because your parents still believe there's hope for you. Okay, Robbie is not my dad. My dad died a long time ago. My father died too when I was 12. I sometimes think that's why I went down the road I went down. I'd hate to see you go down that same road. The drinking, the drugs, the fornicating... Baby killing. Well, it wasn't until I joined the church I realized I was worth saving. 
and I had a calling I never even knew about, and I, I had someone who'd always be there by my side. Wouldn't it be nice to know there was someone there for you? Someone who'd always love you, no matter what? I'm good. Honestly. Well, I thought I was A-OK, too, until I wasn't. <laughs> the church saved me. And it can save you, too. And and the way she lords over that house, right, is just incredible. She picked up that wood paneling herself. Yes. That, she sure did. It's the best kind. Um, That's what her brain looks like. One of my favorite <laughs> moments of the film is when um, it's it's early on after Emma and Jackson get there. And she's trying she's having a scene with Emma and she tells Emma to fix the buttons on her blouse because she got a little peak of boob. She got a little peak of cleavage and you saw that, that foundation crack a bit. When I think of all the time I wasted sinning, the running away from Christ, Christ always finds you. He always knows if you if you sinned. Oh, okay. I get it. You're one of us. You've been to the program. What she says was, Keep these buttoned. Mustn't give the, the boys any ideas. This camp is about giving the boys ideas. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this system doesn't work. There's a later scene where that is all they want them to do. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but not now. No, not no, now. No. Not in front of me. Not in front of me. No. In front of me. And then she has to go punish herself for her impure thought. Because fortunately, Mary Esther has a system in place for dealing with moments like this when she has a little slip up in the system and some of her old ways come back. When that sin rises up, she just cuts it right out. Mary Esther's a cutter and we get a wonderful scene of her blissfully carving away at her inner thigh with a straight razor. <laughs> And that just goes to show you, you can change. You can change it if you want it bad enough, which means if it doesn't work, it's on you. Oh, yeah. Sure. You didn't want it bad enough. You don't want it bad enough to, for God to cure you. Sorry. It, 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 everything she said, even with a smile and full of sugar. You, wait a minute. There's the, the double-edged swords do everything that she says. Every bit of everything that sounds helpful as that little bit that goes, that's drawn blood. And isn't she, the, doesn't she also say uh mary esther says i was worth saving at some point like because she's talking about being saved right when so she found she makes, the church yeah because i'm good right i was worth saving um and that that idea right that that's you know if she 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 passed right so she's now worthy uh and you are not look at all the good she's doing look at right. all the children yeah. she's saving look at all the souls she's saving and you know if they if, if they're if their souls offend you just got to cast yep. them aside right that's how that works right that's in the bible right yeah because into the lake of fire right. she even says in a later scene that god comes to her and speaks to her she really believes this yeah, and she's sure, saying yeah. that to her nephew, like, well, of course I had to do this. Because one of the early scenes we see with her is she has one of the children tied up in the basement, gagged, and is withholding food 
until she asks God for forgiveness. And the girl refuses because she doesn't believe she needs to ask for forgiveness. Are you ready to ask God for forgiveness? I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, Megan, why do you lie to God? Now, before I can give you this bite, I'm going to need you to ask God for forgiveness. Can you please untie me? Well, the Lord came to me last night. He told me to tell you he's done giving you chances if you don't ask for forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. And that's conversion therapy 101. That's like day one is when they lock you in a room and they take away your food. Yeah. And the children are also given uniforms, which I liked in this one because it was, you will all look the same. You will all be the same. Whereas the other one allowed them to have their own individual personalities. This one, it was more stripped down and that felt a little more real, except for the one girl not having the glasses like all the other girls did. I was disappointed about. I, I, I was just happy that the uniform involved the same short skirt that Emma was wearing before she went to the camp. So she had that look, she had that classic silhouette. I'm like, good. She didn't have to change her look. I like that. She's still, she's still rocking that short skirt. Um, <laughs> when, when uh, the thing, one of the things that really struck me uh, is when uh, the first time we see Mary Esther snap and she kills that girl in the basement. And uh, ooh, what does she ask her? She's like, what, do you really think that if you die right now, you'd go to heaven or something like that? Yeah. It was like, do you is think what she asks? ask God for goodness? Do you hear as she's stabbing her, she's saying, any trumpets, any angels, and then stabbing her. Yeah, before she even started stabbing, it was something that she's like, are you really, she was really just so shocked that this girl thinks that she's not a sinner. Yeah, that God loves her regardless. She's absolutely flabbergasted, yes. (laughs) The Lord came to me last night. He told me to tell you, he's done giving you chances if you don't ask for forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. You mean, you mean to tell me that if you were to die right now, you think you'd get into heaven? Well, then let's test that theory. When the stabbing started, I went, oh God, Mary Esther's a gut stabber. Yeah. And this is something, this is me, this is me and my cl- my criminal psychology background. Uh, gut stabbing, that's a way to kill somebody really, 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 really slowly and really make it hurt. Like the last two stab movies, the scream movies, all about gut stabbing. And I find it very upsetting. Very upsetting. Like this that killer wants these people to suffer. And that's what Mary Esther wants to. Hi, it's Future Me again. I caught while I was pulling sound for this particular scene that Mary Esther actually demonstrates that the reason she's a gut stabber and the reason, the reason why she wants you to take a very long time to die is because it will give you a chance to repent. If you die too quickly, you might not be able to she rather might not be able to save your soul. See anything yet? Any angels? Hear any trumpets? This could take a little while. There's still time to ask God for forgiveness. I don't know what you're smiling about. Especially considering where you're spending the rest of eternity. Because like I say, I want you to suffer and I want to see what you see when you're going. Are you going to laugh your way to hell? Because 
Jesus is coming for me. I don't know who's coming for you, but I want to see who's coming. I want to see it in your face. What are you smiling at? What are you smiling at? Why are you smiling? <laughs> that was fucked up. Yeah, she, I mean, it, she, she's yeah. a deeply disturbing. I mean, it was just, yeah, like it's hard. It's horrific. I mean, the stabbing in the guts, and, you know, and the stabbing kind of always has sexual overtones, right? I mean, the idea that there's that stabbiness and it, it, the way she, the way she is throughout it, right? I mean, she's, she is so twisted and probably pretty indicative of a lot of people running houses like this. And the thing is, yes, she's twisted, but it's also formulaic twisted. This is not her first time at the rodeo. This is what she does. I'm, go, I'm, going, I'm going to have to cleanse this child. And I'm going to watch. I'm going to see in their face, see where they're going. Are they, go, are they going up or they're going down? Yeah, she's a sacred serial killer. I mean, you know, she believes in the mission. And we know that it's definitely been more than once because one, we learn it's cutting between a kitchen scene between Emma and another girl, Rebecca, and this basement scene. We learn no one's been there more than seven days. Who knows what they make you do in there? I mean, I'm surprised you haven't shut this place down yet, but then again, I know more than a few cops who remember themselves. Well, at least we're only here three days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what they tell everybody, but we're on day five. I've never seen anyone make it past day seven. What do you mean? Do they go home? Maybe. I mean, we never see anyone get picked up, though. They just never show up for breakfast the next morning. They never see anyone leave. They're just not there the three next strikes. morning. Oh, we're, it, yeah. it, it's okay. We're only going to be here for three days. Yep, that did tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. You're here for seven and then you're, you just go. You're somewhere. And then later on when Mary Esther is talking to her nephew, Hank, who is also there, who also went through the program. Played by the fabulous Christopher Moore, writer, director, Christopher Moore. Yeah. When you're cursed with a homosexual virus, it weighs down on you like this backpack. And everything you do, the way you think, talk, walk, has to be rewired. I know it sounds difficult, but I've done it. And you can too. And these days, I never have a homosexual thought. <laughs> She's like, well, you have to go clean it up. And he's just like this, like, not again. I can't do this again. Hank, we're doing the right thing. The rewards in God's kingdom outnumber any pains of the flesh. Think how proud God will be of us. He came to me last night. A little girl downstairs. She didn't want to be saved. What, what was I supposed to do? Let her corrupt the rest of us? I'm not going to be responsible for that. I, I can't. It's only the ones who don't want to be saved. No one's going to miss them. Not society. Not their parents. It got a little messy. Try not to make too much noise when you clean it up. And she's just like, I had to do it. God came to me. I did my part. Now you have to do your part. You got to clean up my mess. This is what we do here. And this is something that also struck me with this, uh, the other uh, movie too. We were talking about how that end scene in They Them didn't ring right. Mm. With all of them just sitting around like, eh, we're just going to back to our life. I realized at a certain point, uh, Kevin Bacon said, I'm on the board, uh, not the board of directors, I'm on town council or something. I'm on the town council. Nobody is going to be persecuting me for what goes on here. I am admired. I am this. So I realized, oh yeah, when those police, those policemen that are investigating at the end of the movie, they're they're not on your side, kids. 
And where was I going with this? I realized Mary is just the same way. Mary is to do whatever the hell she wants. She probably got the blessing of the whole goddamn community. I'm sure she's a beloved member of that community who talks to every grocery store clerk and uh, is friends with every important person. And I'm sure. I mean, it, it's it, it's part of the part of the plan. You see it with her. She can. She's a psycho yeah. who can pass because the first conversations aren't that bad, and then it starts to devolve with the subtle snide is not so subtle and it becomes more direct and you see more the, no, we're going to do this now and I'm going to break you and I don't care how I break you. But the outside doesn't need to see that. And even if they do, they can see I'm such a good woman. Because I'm doing the Lord's work and they know it. Well, and I mean, the other thing about her that I kind of noticed, and I, as I was looking around the house, when they pan the camera around and stuff, because I was trying to pay attention to what does Mary Esther put on the walls, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, as I was watching, there was, she had these kind of random, random Christian-y things, right? So icons from different Christian traditions and stuff. And so to me, like that kind of, that kind of hit home the idea that she doesn't really have a theology, Right. She has an ideology. I mean, she's not really she doesn't believe anything necessarily. Right. Except that, you know, she's good and and, and, and she has this kind of twisted vision of God. Um, but this is kind of classically, uh, you know, when when churches become non-denominational in the worst way possible. Right. Um, it, because they're they're un, they're un, unhindered by the doctrines right of of church. And so they can kind of take it any way they want to go. And so these movements tend to stem, right, from those kind of departures um, from from theologies, right? Because it's not a this is not a theology, um, you know. This is this is an ideology of hate, right? It has it has no theological basis. And so you know, there's something about her, right? That yeah, she's super faithful and super Christian, but she's so weird about it um, that you know you 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 kind of wonder like. <laughs> You know what? What is Mary Esther's real religious core here, right? I mean, because she she she's such a a nutcase. Well, I'm thinking I'm thinking it would probably be something similar to um, Tammy. Ding dong, Tammy is Emma and Jackson's mom. Because mm, we mm-hmm. get we get little hints that she was she was she was she was wayward too, and then she found the church and she was saved. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I think it's very much the same thing. I was bad before, but now here I am, and look at me now. I own this wonderful property. I live on this beautiful lake, and I help these kids, and everybody loves me, and it's all because of the church. I have my family now, and they're probably reminded that they should be grateful that they've been given that after what they did, after the lives they lived. Because Tammy probably by Robbie gets told that a lot and she repeats it. And so probably that's how they got Mary Esther in too. And so that's why she's so willing and they could see her character. You could see is someone who not too hard to push in that direction. Okay. I want to spend a little time on the kids Mm. in general, Mm -hmm. the the group of kids. They're so wonderfully non-cinematic in the best way, like the complete opposite of they slash them, who were all fabulous, gorgeous model types. These were awkward teenagers, and I love that. All different sizes, all different shapes. The two, those two girls looked alike, but they weren't sisters. And I love that dorky. They weren't caricature-ish, 
right? Which is kind of, I kind of had a weird feeling of that in, in they, them, right? Um, they weren't, they weren't tropes. Right. They were, they were, they were, they had their, they had their complexity, right? Um, yeah. And they had their, there was, there wasn't ever really, right, until a certain point, any kind of unified movement of the kids, right? I mean, they were, they were kind of jostling uh, their, their different thoughts about where they were and why they were there. And, you know, some of them seemed like they wanted to be there. And, um, and so I think the dynamics between them, uh, were much more fascinating. They were broken. They were broken kids, right? And you could see that brokenness um, in in the way they they spoke, in the way they moved, right? In the way that they related to each other. Um, and there was that, yeah, that awkwardness, right? That kind of weirdness of being a teenager too. Um, and you know, and they didn't break out in any dance numbers, but they did not. No. They did not. Well, like you had Chris, who says it was, this is her third place she's been to like this. First time at one of these places? Yeah. This is my third. Nothing ever seems to stick. I tell my grandma all the time that she's just wasting the money that could giving her a comfy retirement. Because it just doesn't stick. Because she doesn't want to change. She's fine with who she is. thing is, Jackson, I, I don't consider myself a bad person. and You don't seem like you're one either. But is there something wrong with us? Maybe there's something wrong with them. And then you have the contrast. I think the character's name was Joel. It was a real tall guy who wants to be there because he wants to be quote unquote fixed. Hey, good morning. Nice to meet you. Good morning. Nice to meet you too. If you can believe it, Joel is here voluntarily. Absolutely. You are going to love it here. Hank and Mary Esther, they are just inspirational i loved joel i love joel i love joel the big fabulous fabulous queen it's probably just vitamins he had a touch of a mormon missionary vibe 100 yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the biggest like the biggest fruit loop in the cereal bowl here yet is the one who's the, with the program i'm 100 behind this program I'm, I'm this is gonna work for me this i'm here by my i'm my own volition I want to be here. Ding dong. Patch from the future had a rather dark realization about the character of Joel since we recorded. It has now occurred to me that Joel probably wants to be with this program because it's his only way through. It's his only option because Joel, everything about him reads stereotypically gay. His voice, his mannerisms, his posture, his demeanor, everything is this baked in stereotypical gay that's going to be very, 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 very difficult to change. Joel is probably never going to be able to assimilate it. Joel is probably never going to be able to pass for straight. Joel's going to have a really hard time trying to hide who he is. He can't hide who he is. It's probably so baked into his system that he can hide who he is. So, but if there's a chance that God can fix him, he's going to take that. If maybe God could take all that away, that would be great. But even if God doesn't take it all away, he'll have a certificate saying, I went through the program. I'm okay now. Please love me. Will you love me now? And that's really sad. Jackson, <laughs> don't fall for it. She has no intention of saving her soul. Maybe God loves her already. Maybe she doesn't need to change. Yeah. And then you have the two foster sisters who one is a lesbian and one we learn was gang raped and got pregnant. Why are you guys here? Because she kissed a girl and liked it. I was fucked by four guys on the tennis team. He wasn't even awake to enjoy it. Got this well baby out of it, though. 
You too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the home of unwed mothers and perverts. Because, and of course, that's her fault. But when she's explaining what happened, she's like, it was her and her sister met in foster care. They're with their foster dad who used to be on meth and then found the church. It's again, they just prey on people who were at this most vulnerable moment in their lives. And if they don't conform, they can go. And not in a, here's the door, have a nice day. And I also know from my particular relatives that are like this, that, you know, if you, even if you have this wonderful come to Jesus moment and you perform and you were a horrible person or you were an addict or, or, or a drunk or whatever, and now look at you now, they will never let you forget that you were an addict or they will bring it up at every opportunity. Oh, it is forever held over your head. Oh yeah. You can never move on. Like you, you slip up once and you'll be right back to that. Oh, uh, Tara. You said something during uh, They Them about the ending. It well, The thing that really got you angry was that um, the two girls were saying, well, I'm going to tell my parents. You're like, they're going right back into the frying pan, you know, out of the frying pan in the fire that put them in this camp in the first place. Yeah. Like one of them, yes, admitted that she was there as an undercover reporter, but the other girl, her family sent her there. They're going to, yeah, they're going to kick you out or disown you or something. Yeah. Uh, and but, that's what all these kids, it's, and it's implied and said. No, that was addressed. Rebecca said that. Rebecca said, you know, I mean, we might get out of here, but even if we get out of here, we're going to go back to that house. Got to get out of here and go home. <sighs> Must be nice. What? Having a home to go back to. Even if I get out of here, they're still going to send me somewhere else. Somewhere where they're just taking me in for the extra check money every month. Somewhere without Megan. We're going to kick us out. We're going to wind up another one of these places. She has that whole speech pattern. I said that was everything that was missing from they, they, they slash them. Yeah. That bit of, bit of honesty that this camp is only part of the problem. It's your parents too. It's also because teenagers, their brains aren't wired to think of a future. So it is immediate. The problems are right now and they don't see that there's a way out. They can't find a way out except some very dark ways. And a lot of people will prey on that. And I think this movie really shows that, that it is, well, you can't think of a way out. What are you going to do? Go home to your parents? No, they hate you too. Mm-hmm. You didn't work hard enough. Why would they want you? And then you have Emma who's constantly, it's, did my mom call? I have to call my mom. Where's my mom? Truly believing that her mom will love her and accept her eventually. Truly believing that her mom is in danger. Yeah. And not the yeah, one Yeah, who- I mean- and not the one who put them in danger on purpose. Yeah, the weird sympathy, right, that's kind of built for the mom um, is... Well, they've been through stuff. They've been through a lot. Right, yeah. They've it's, been through a lot. They're probably living... You get the impression that they were probably living in a car or something at some point, and And it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And look at us now. We're going to stick together through the worst of it. We, can get, we got through that. We can get through this. We can get through him. But there's no getting through him. She's already gone. Well, I mean, you know, going back just a, a little bit, right, to the idea that, you know, this is this is kind of the the sort of predatory nature, right, of some of some cultish church organizations, right? And one of the things about this movie that I found so I guess unsettling, right? And I I'm this is a a, a pastoral observation, right? Is that it it sort of puts into a very living, vibrant and ugly color, the way religion gets done wrong, 
right? And the way religion gets misused and weaponized uh, and gets turned into all the things that, you know, folks like me don't want it to be, right? That it was never meant to be. And so, you know, the, the idea that, right, that you, you manipulate a meth, a meth head, right? Uh, you, 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 you bring them to wellness, right? And then you use that wellness to control them uh, or, to, or to lord it over them right? That is, that is so deeply unchristian to me, right? That it's antichrist. The church has to reconcile with that, right? That there are some folks out there who are acting in the name of a faith that they don't know from a, you know, from their, from a hole in the ground, right? This has nothing to do with faith. This has everything to do with abuse and control and power uh, and all the ugly, horrible things, right, that are highlighted by the way these children are exploited. But as a Christian, right, this is, it's deeply offensive to me, right, that people do this. Um, and at the same time, as a Christian, I think we have to repent for it, right? And I think we have to take, take responsibility, right, for anything that we may have done that has been complicit in this. And this movie really I think this, like this movie was able to sort of unsettle me as a Christian in a way the other one couldn't because this movie wasn't afraid of the Christianity. Well, the other one absolved you of any, like the other one. Yeah. yeah the other one basically said, eh, yeah, we're a camp. We're not we're talking not about, about you. God. We're not talking we're about you. Camp. We're talking about the other people that do this, but there are no other people that do this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to say like, there's, you know, this is not Christianity people. Like this is, this is not what we're supposed to do. Um, and it's so ugly and it's so horrible. One of the things that I said about Base last time, before I saw it, I said I was hesitant to see it because I didn't want to see these beautiful young queer kids get killed. And mm -hmm. I felt the same thing here when they did start to die. I, I, I recoiled from it. And I said, no, no, no. This actually has to be this way in this story. What does Patrick mean by this? Okay, what do I mean by this? What, what I mean by this is that you don't go through an experience like this without part of you getting lost, without part of you dying. I mean, yes, people go through these programs and don't survive them. Um, they commit suicide during, they commit suicide after. But some part of you is not coming out the same way that it went in, even if it's just your innocence, even if it's just the belief that you had people that said, I love you, and then they made you go through this. Because you read the stories about kids who survived these camps or just have gone through conversion therapy and they say, I can't connect to anybody anymore. They took that away from me. They even destruct, they even touch on that and they slash them in that clumsy movie style kind of way where Molly said, you put me in that chair and you hollowed out my soul. But you already knew that because that's what you do here, Kevin Bacon. You hollow people out. So I think without seeing these kids get killed, you don't really get the impact of what these camps and what these conversion therapy programs have on them in the long run, that some part of them is gone forever and it's never coming back. Right. Because it just sees the abuse through. If we don't, if we stop before that, it's a lie. Yeah. So yeah. Even, even, if, even if these kids are not being physically killed, there's something in them that dies. Well, and I think for me, like I have resisted watching um, conversion camp horror based movies, right? or horror movies that are based on conversion camps. And can, can I don't watch documentary. There's only the two. So you've, you've done them. <laughs> yeah, two. Yeah. Well, but I mean, even in general, like I don't watch documentaries about them. I don't watch, you know, news exposés about them. And, and what I've recognized is that part of the reason I don't is because as a person who is a, a you know, a church leader, as a Christian, they make me face the things that the church made me feel. 
right? When I was young and vulnerable and angry and sad, right? Um, and so to confront those things and hear those words and, you know, that kind of thing is so deeply hurtful. Um, and, but then what I realize is that a movie like this can take that, right? And use it to spark the kind of empathy that will overcome this, right? The kind of sort of really real compassion that will tear these places down. You know, I guess in a way, as a person of faith, I feel like I have to wrestle with that. I wrestle with it every time I walk into a church, right? Uh, this is something that needs to be wrestled with. Uh, and I think this movie, in a way that is that is really unexpected, wrestled with it out loud and, and in a very vivid way. And pulled no punches. No. And I appreciate it. And pulled no punches and then, and then took it one step further. Said, yes, this is what's happening. I mean, now here, and now here's, the, now here's the horror part. Right. And the horror part makes sense, right, as the logical extension of what's happening. One of the other things that really worked for me, and just cutting to the end, it was a masterful moment, was Mary Esther's death scene. Oh, yes. What an exquisite piece of silent acting. Ben, what am I talking about? Beautiful. Beautiful. So she is, uh, you know, she's killed. Well, she's stabbed or, you know, whatever. Uh, And so she's in the throes of death. She's smitten. She's smotted down. She's smotted down. (laughs) Her face, the expression on her face, right? She gets this ridiculously joyful expression on her face at first and says, (laughs) Jesus is coming for me. (laughs) I mean, this is like face acting at its best, right? That look becomes the most horrified face. And and it, instantly, right, you ask, wait a minute, I don't think it's Jesus who's coming, right? Like it is either, this woman has just seen the devil, right? Um, and it, it, it was just mesmerizing to watch in that little short period of time. It was brilliant. It was so wonderfully slow to watch that face yes. just morph from ecstasy to something else, to questioning, and then to have the death rigor set in as the ultimate horror hit, whatever that might've been. I love that. And I said, that's the perfect end for this character. You thought you were going to the pearly gates. I don't know what you saw, but it may have been Jesus. It may not have been Jesus, but if it was Jesus, he was not happy to see you. Yeah, I mean, I got the like, I got the sense, like, um, because, you know, we talk about the idea that at some point, right, in, in, in the Christian world, right, at some point, we will come face to face with Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, Mary Esther, why did you hurt all those children? Right? And Jesus is going to say, why, 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 right? Why, why did you not love me enough to love other people? Right? And you get this sense that she is in the throes of judgment right? That she is perhaps meeting Jesus and not getting quite the response she was expecting, right? And and her face goes from that sort of ecstasy to confusion to, you know, just shock. That moment where she realized she was hoodwinked. Yeah. I was wrong the whole time. They lied to me. They lied to me. They told me right. if I did this, Jesus would come. Nope. <laughs> Wonderful moment. Yeah, because I mean, you know, because I'm sorry, I don't mean to ramble on about it, but I mean, I get challenged for my theology all the time, right? Because I'm a gay minister. Uh, I get called apostate. I get called all kinds of things. And I say to folks, look, I will I will stand in front of Jesus Christ 
and I will defend the actions I have taken. I just pray you will be able to do the same. And Mary Esther couldn't. Nope. You also see her before this start to spiral because the actions get more and more before this. It's killing when her nephew finally decides, I can't do this anymore. Like everyone who goes through this movement, I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend not to be myself. And he's going to run away with his gardener boyfriend to Chicago and start a life. But she won't have it. And she won't let it happen. This is me being an asshole. Shocker. So, uh, I applied for another job last week. Oh, yeah, well, maybe you can get the hotel room. It's in Chicago. You're looking at the new Roxy Hart. The name on everybody's <laughs> lips is gonna be Mason. <laughs> and it is a really kind of little sad bit when he's, because he's texting Mason to say he's leaving. And the last text is, thank you for loving me. Yeah, And she just comes up and there is no preamble. There is no talking him out of this. This is, oh, well, I guess you need to be saved this way then. Step, step, step. Yeah. He, 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 he. yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of her thing, right? Like you, I gave you your three strikes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told you to shush. What do you want? <laughs> well, and you know, and she makes the distinction, right? Earlier on, she says, it's only the ones who don't want to be saved. Right. Nobody cares about them. Right. 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 Nobody will miss them. Oh. Right. <laughs> if I let him go to Chicago with this man, he's going to be sitting and doing musical theater. He'd be better off. Who's going to beat his dick with a riding crop then? His thin stick. <laughs> Where did you go this morning? I told you, Mason, he... How are we supposed to save these children's souls if one of us is still sinning? Take out your sin stick and get it hard. Oh, I can't. <laughs> but that shit happened. It does. That's one of the things that I was talking about. I mean, I did. we, we talked about that with they, them, they slash them, that that was missing, that there's all kinds of genital torture. There's all kinds of forced sexual activity. Which we have a whole scene of, which is handled as tastefully as possible, too. Which I was very impressed with. These are women. They were put on this earth to please you, to pleasure you, and to bear and raise your children. Aren't they pretty? Well, girls, you're not doing very much to entice these young men, are you? Show a little skin. I don't feel comfortable Emma, doing God's work. It's never comfortable. If it were, there'd be more true believers out there. Rebecca, we'll show her how it's done. Well, you're used to taking off your clothes for boys, aren't you? <laughs> and Hank, you choose who's first up to bat. Jackson, why don't you come up here? Take it out. Wait, huh? Didn't you hear me? Did you hear me? I said take it out. I can handle this. Oh, can you? I'd like to see you try to save these souls when you can't even save your own. I hate to tell your parents you got a strike. Hey, hey, you don't have to do this. No, it's for his own good. Get back where you were, unless... You're going for your second strike. It's fine. I want to get better. 
look at Rebecca. I want you to look at her. Look at her and get it hard. Well, it shouldn't be too difficult if you're a real man. Hank, you should be watching this. You could learn a thing or two. No, 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 don't look at him. Look at her. Oh, <laughs> I thought you enjoyed showing off your body. That's what got you into this situation in the first place, isn't it? But don't be shy now. wrong. You can only get excited if the whole tennis team watches. <sighs> Christina, why don't you step up to the plate? Now, entice Jackson. Stop. Do you want to stop, Jackson? A real man stop? You think your stepfather would stop? Please stop. Or maybe you need a little more persuasion. I said stop it! This class is dismissed. Go to your rooms for Bible study. Jackson will resume this tomorrow. I hope for your sake you come better prepared. Kate, think I was wrong about you. Yeah, and it, it, again, it's a relentless scene. I mean, it is. You can see the discomfort horrific. and the confusion of the just, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. What is happening? What I love about this scene is that it's not explicit at all. Yes, the content is, but we don't see anything. You feel like you see sexual stuff because psycho on a psychological level, this whole scene is torturous in the best way possible. It's incredibly powerful because this is the kind of thing that I've heard goes on 100%. And it's gotten worse every time I've seen it. It's gotten more powerful every time I've seen it or every time I've heard it through my headphones now. That I'm glad I've had the opportunity to revisit this movie because like I said, I watched it once on my own. I thought it was okay. But that first time through, I let myself get bogged down in minutia that doesn't matter. And if I want to use something in this scene, I got thrown off by Emma's makeup throughout the film. Emma has a very distinct look, makeup-wise. It's very teen YouTube tutorial. Smoky eyes, Egyptian flair, uh, bright red blowjob lips. I'm sorry, that's what they're called. Big, shiny, heavily glossed lips, big press-on nails. When I saw it the first time, all the scenes of them at home, I kept thinking... How is this look getting by under Robbie's roof? And then at Abraham House, I'm going, why is it flying here? Why? No one else is wearing any makeup at all. None of the other women are. Why is she being allowed to wear this? It was really distracting me. And plus, we had those the low budget things that happened. Like you, she was waking up with full faces of makeup. You know, she'd, you'd see her wash her face. And then in the next shot, the makeup would be back on. And then I realized on my second watch through, none of that shit matters. You let yourself get distracted from the meat of this film. Bad podcaster. That's stuff around the edges. That's production stuff. Some technical things about color temperature and stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to bother. Like the fact that she had very long manicured nails. I was like, I don't think they'd let her have those, but I'm just going to go with she paid for that herself. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying, I'm like, you really let that this Egyptian eye makeup is flying at Abraham house? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I guess the Pharaoh. It's okay. It's like if we're doing Ten Commandments, it's all good. <laughs> well, it could also be, you know, one of Mary Esther's concessions, right? To keep people a little caught off guard by her, right? I mean, it could be something that she doesn't try to control. And I also think Mary she might Esther- like it. Thank you. Ding, ding. That's what I was getting. At a certain level, she's like, you know what? I'm going to let it go. She looks pretty. She looks I like pretty. her. She's pretty. What? Don't look at me like that. Mary Esther's a predatory lesbian. Yeah, because what, what is Mary Esther's undoing, right? The kiss of another woman, right? That's sort of the, the Judas the kiss. kiss. Yeah, the reverse Judas kiss. Yeah. 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 And I also loved my first time through when we see the, the, the kids, the surviving kids walking away from this death trap of a camp. I'm going, there's still 20 minutes left in this movie. What's going to happen now? Yeah, there's like a good 20, 25 minutes in the beginning before we get to Abraham House. And there's about another 20 minutes after. So it's, you're like, what What are we going to be doing? And I'm shocked to say that every minute of that 20 minutes on the way out, that all needed to be there. I loved all of it. I loved all of it. That that, that he doesn't hit you in the face with what's going on immediately. He lets you, he lets you, he lets you be the lobster in the pot. Or that right. they, he, he lets those kids be the lobster in the pot. You see mom trying the same tricks. Uh-huh. Because they show up mm-hmm. literally covered in blood. And she's like, what happened? And they're like, they tried to kill us. And she just, not, oh my God. Are you hungry? Yeah. I'll get you something to eat. I was going to call tonight. What happened to the two of you? They tried to kill us, mom. You must be hungry. Here, let me fix you something to eat. I'm, I'm sorry, what now? Uh, hey, remember when we used to have our portraits over here on this table? What about the portraits? Your <laughs> portraits are there, but I don't see our portraits. It's like we don't live here. Oh. The realization that their mother has sold them out is so wonderfully horrific. Yeah, and the, I was going to call tonight. Bullshit you were. You said you were going to call. You never called. You said you'd call. You said that you would come back for us. I was going to call you. I was going to call you tonight. Bullshit. Okay. Jackson, can you please calm your sister down? We were never supposed to get out of that place. Were we? All you had to do was just follow the rules, Emma. I mean, why didn't you just follow the rules? Well, and I think I think Jackson kind of Jackson kind of wraps it up, right? He's it was never about it was never about saving us. It was about saving you. You don't hate me, do you, Jackson? I was thinking that we could leave tonight and we could go somewhere special. Just the three of us. Would you like that? It wasn't about saving us. It was about saving you. You don't want your mom to go to hell, do you? I mean, you wouldn't want that, would you? And I think that if you remember the earlier conversations he and Emma have of they lived with grandma for a really long time, I don't think mom ever really wanted them. And I think she always kind of saw them as, oh God, I have to deal with you. A bird. What can I get for you? Oh, I got this husband because of you. That's kind of cool. And now we can get rid of you. Ha ha ha. Oh, right. The Bible says we can get rid of you. It, 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 it is morally right for us to get rid of you. And 
oddly enough, as grim as this conversation has been, it's still a fun movie to watch. Oh, it is a good movie. It's it wonderful. Is. It's rough around the edges, and it is a micro budget. And again, there are some technical things, but eh, it's it has so much more to it. It tried so much harder, and it succeeded way more. So of the two, definitely watch this one. Yeah, there's meat on these bones that I was not expecting, and I like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go into it expecting very much, but I mean, it was it was it, it was just so well done. And I mean, the, to, for me, the technical stuff was completely incidental. I mean, I, I barely noticed it because I was so pulled into what was going on. Um, except that I have this weird thing that I, I don't love being told what day and time it is in movies. <laughs> Uh, and I, and I know, you know, we're counting days or whatever, Thank you for bringing uh, but I was up. like, I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it as one long nightmare. Yeah. Well, cause they stopped after a while. And I, well, cause yeah. my first time through another thing that threw me off, I had to stop the movie and go, Chris, what's with all the fog references? I know at one point years, I swear it was the soundtrack. Oh. <laughs> it was the soundtrack. It it was the 21st of April. It was the fog font. And there was several John Carpenter references. Around. There was one point they were playing the, uh, the music sounded very much like Prince of Darkness, which makes more sense. There were stingers, musical stingers that sounded just like Halloween. Now, to be fair, this is a personal pet peeve of mine, and it did throw me off my first time through the movie. I can't stand it when filmmakers make me think of another movie while I'm watching your movie, because the movie that you're making me think of is probably going to be better than your movie, and now I'm not in your movie anymore. And freaking Ryan Murphy is the worst of this. Like, during American Horror Story, he'll play entire soundtracks, famous soundtrack to other horror films in a scene that has nothing to do with that so now i'm not only thinking about this other movie i'm going why are you playing this movie in the scene that now i'm completely out of the scene and i got really disappointed i'm like christopher moore why are you doing this and i still don't really have an answer for it because you know i love the fog the fog is great but i don't see any pirate leper ghosts taking over the abraham house but also in the fog the mm. church is where it got hidden yeah we've damned ourselves because of what we did for money we took the money from these people who needed refuge and we killed them. Oh. And so the church is hiding this horrible, horrible secret. And maybe that was the connection Boom. is the church knows this horrible thing, but is doing really nothing to stop it. And Tara, we concluded when we talked about the film that everybody on the lepership was, was actually gay. So it, it, all, all the gay party pirates were gay. <laughs> that damn right. was... Well, and I think, you don't, you know, I think, I think we have to accept, right, that the churches doing this want to do it, right? Uh, it, it is the plan, right? It is, it is, it is what's, what was intended, right? And so that's what makes this all the more awful, right? Um, you know, this isn't a church that has lost its way and can come back, right? Because this was the way. It's a feature, not this a bug. church is thriving. <laughs> Thriving on the blood of children in Florida. Well, and it's also, but it's it's also thriving on exactly what this movie gave us, right? The the kind of religiosity that we see in these characters is oversimplified. It's filled with a certainty that religion doesn't have, um, and it, it it's 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 everything, right? That makes this so popular. It's kind of lazy theology, right? You just say God hates stuff, and that's pretty easy to deal with, 
right? You say God is a loving mystery, right? That can't be fully understood. Well, who the heck wants to spend time figuring that out, right? I just want Mary Esther to tell me who God hates. Uh, and then, you know, I can, I can sort of easily follow this spoon-fed uh, religion, right? And so that's why they're popular. It's easy and it's showy. And it seems nice, and they usually have decent music, I guess. But, I mean, the the idea that this is so popular is offensive um, to Christianity, right? It's offensive to, to the real mystery of God uh, and the mystery of the loving God who cares about these children, who cares about them so much, right? Yeah. And, and is, is grieved by the way we're hurting them. Uh, and so, you know, this movie gave us those things. And that's a hard thing to say, but it did it, right? And so that's why I have tremendous respect. Um, and I don't feel bashed as a person of faith, right? Um, I feel convicted a little bit. Um, and I feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to remember this is a real thing. Like, this is a real thing that happens, and it's happening in the name of my faith. Because good Christians aren't going to feel wrong for speaking out against this. It's when someone no, yeah. if someone said, this is wrong, da-da-da, and they're like, how dare you say that about me? They're telling on themselves. A good person is a good yeah, person. But I, yeah, but they don't mind telling on themselves. They don't mind telling on themselves because like, it's, it's um, conversion therapy is banned in 20 out of the 50 states. And the 30 that still have it, they are actively fighting to keep it. It's not, it's not just an embarrassing thing they sweep under the rug. No, we want it. Yeah, and we should be ashamed of that as a nation. Oh, no, there are provinces here trying to use the notwithstanding clause for the Charter of Rights and Freedoms to force schools to out trans children to their parents. The notwithstanding clause is only meant to be used for things that everyone agrees on and is not controversial. Because the Charter of Rights and Freedom says that you cannot be discriminated against for religion, gender, sexuality, ability, and that children are people with their own rights, not property. And I mean, let's not forget, right? The Kill the Gays bill in Africa was spearheaded by American Christians. Damn right it right? was. They, Damn right it was. They, they want, they, they, there are people who want this, right? This is their goal. And that's why, you know, in, in this moment that we're in, we're, we are facing a truly existential threat, right? Because there are people who don't want us to be alive anymore, right? Unless we are able to become something we are not. Um, and so they want us to basically reject creation, right? And reject God uh, and, and fall into line with their ideology and become this thing they think we're supposed to be or die. Those are the choices, right? One way or another. If we become the thing that they want us to be, they'll never let us forget what a dirty pervert we were. No, we will be second-class citizens forever. Hey, so oh, it's wonderful, man. Wonderful, man. I was such a good Christian. Don't let the kids around him. Ugh. Yeah, Robbie, right? I mean, obviously, like the hypocrisy of these folks is insane, right? And it, But it's this is this is the kind of person who runs a house like Abraham House. This is the kind of person who doesn't have a problem sending children to Mary Esther, right? A predator, somebody who is already destroying children. It's the person who doesn't want uh, drag queen story time, but doesn't say a thing about the youth pastors. That's fine. They're a good person. We're sure they yeah, didn't mean exactly. it. I'm sure that person, that child seduced them. And it just, the cognitive dissidence people can have 
so they don't have to acknowledge that they were wrong is baffling. I'm willing to bet the conversion camps are filled with adults who are just like this, right? I mean, how do you how do you get a better selection of easy targets than to bring fragile children into your own midst, right? And all of it happening under the auspices of faith, right? It's so gross and it's so disgusting. Rebecca says it in the one kitchen scene. They just want us to have more babies into the church so they'll write checks too. She wasn't always like this. Not until she joined the church and met Robbie. Same thing happened to my foster dad. I mean, he thought the church saved him from meth and now he feels like he owes his life and most of his savings to them. I mean, every month he sends a check to headquarters in Florida hoping to, like, I don't know, buy his way into heaven. (laughs) I mean, I'm convinced that's why they want us to have these babies. So they'll grow up just to cut them a check too. Because if you're born into it, you'll never question it. It's all you've ever known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what a fun kickoff of the weekend this was. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I love that we had this conversation that it, that it is a fluffy piece of exploitation, but yet it's not. It gives us all to talk about and that it could yeah. go up against a blockbuster that everybody thought was going to change the face of queer cinema and say, no, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And you do it by telling the truth. Yeah. This movie deserves to be watched. Last time I mentioned how I read the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for They, Them, and I looked at the rating, which is actually quite poor for They, Them. I was curious and went for the Rotten Tomatoes review of uh, Children of Sin. It's higher it's like almost twice as high i think (laughs) so yeah people are when they see this movie are going yes this is a lot more worthy of your time yeah and i think for for queer people and i think in a way for people of faith this movie made more sense um and just had more honesty in it right and like this movie because i remember last time i said that i was disturbed by they them but i didn't think i should give it the right to disturb me right uh because it wasn't good enough uh this movie disturbed me and and earned it right i am i am i am going to be thinking about this movie for a while well who could ask for anything more than that because normally with horror movies they're disposable like you're out the door you're you're most of them you're forgotten by the time you've thrown out your popcorn but no this one is going to sit around for a while in my head mary esther will never be forgotten she is memorable. Oh, please, please. We're all going to be fighting to play her in the Mary Esther pageant. <laughs> She's like the Louise Fletcher of <laughs> lower budget horror. And then Mary Esther ascending into heaven, body and soul. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we love her so much says everything the world needs to know. Right? <laughs> okay. I think we've done Children of Sin. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me. Thank you so much for going head to head. Thank you for one wallowing through difficult turf. Thank you. I'm I'm glad I did it. This was a, this was a worthwhile journey. Thank you for trusting me. Always. That's not a good idea. Not always. Not always. Not always. <laughs> okay, eighty five percent of the time. Eighty five percent of the. Sometimes you need to do a, do a little microface research before you sign on. <laughs> In my diaphanous gown. Diaphanous gown. <laughs> and as Pastor Ben said, when you're dealing with the devil, always read the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I get you. All right. Um, so Pastor Ben, since you've been talking about your 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 congregation, you are you still doing your Sunday Zooms services? We do, yeah. Our our worship services are zoomed. Um they you we have a website, Scipioville Presbyterian Church.org. 
Uh, we're on Facebook, Scipioville Presbyterian Church. I know that sounds like a scary word, but Patrick will probably spell it for you. Um, and so you can find us on Facebook and the web, and you can hear me preach on you. My, my Scipio sermons are... Do da, Scipio day. <laughs> My sermons are on YouTube, so if you would like to hear what I say about stuff, uh, you can find me there. I just left you in a weird spot to have to follow that up. <laughs> I, I have no sermons, um, but in October every year, I post on my Instagram a spooky or horror-related thing that you may enjoy every day. So you get 31 days of either a book, a podcast, a movie, a TV show. You can go back through my feed. I've been doing it for three or four years now. And it just, I'm, that's why I've been reading ahead all these different horror novels or books that give you lists of horror novels. And I have a huge list of movies to watch. And there's a game I might do this year if I can get it to work, but I'm terrible at games. So, and that's um, on Instagram at Tara underscore Raw Boom DA. It's like a Halloween advent calendar. Pretty much. To play anyway, we're back. We're, I mean, we're, 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 we're spiraling. <laughs> we're, we're rambling. <laughs> It's late. It's late. We're all very tired. We've been through hell. <laughs> yeah. We've been through Abraham House. <gasps> we, we, did, we, we went to Camp Whistler, man, which was worse. <laughs> okay. If, if, if they were to do a lip sync number in the middle of Children of Abraham, Children of Sin, what would it be? They do reference I Kissed a Girl, but I'd say do the Jill Soul Blue version, not the Katy Perry version. Excellent choice. Nice and retro. Possibly controversial because the gays might turn on you for shunning Katy Perry, but the lesbians will embrace you for, for Katie's obols. I, 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 actually, it's a brilliant answer because I am so mentally worn out right now. I don't even have an answer to my own question that I just posed. Ding dong. The ghost of Patrick's past may not have had an answer to his own question, but the ghost of Patrick's yes to come sure does because now that I've had time to think about it. Okay. Work with me here. Children of Sin, I would classify as institutional horror in the vein of something like Don't Look in the Basement. What else would classify as an institution that might pop up in a horror movie? And I said, Orphanage. So I think it would be perfectly on point if all of the teen guests at Abraham House all of a sudden burst out in a chorus of It's the Hard Knock Life for us. At the Hard Knock Life for us. And I'm sure Christopher Moore would be fine with it because she is a big old musical theater queen. And it would only enhance the story. I mean, I would just think of it. It would be great. Elaine Stritch, we never see. Elaine Stritch, what's that? Who's she? It would be, it's the best thing ever in my mind. It would be the worst thing ever on film. Let's never talk about it again. Back to the show. There's no song, there's no, there's no song with Mary Esther in the title. I'm trying to like cram it into something. I, I mean, she could probably lead up a pretty ferocious girl group. I don't, I don't know. Mary Esther is a solo act. Mary Esther does not <laughs> sing with a group. <laughs> and she refuses to perform to an empty front row. All Mary right. Esther. Thank you very God much. Lover. Um, he doesn't, apparently. <laughs> no, well, somebody. Yeah, okay, we're rambling. We're rambling. I'm babbling. I'm about to fall on my face. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for being fabulous. Thank you so much for taking thank this you, event thank with you. me. Uh, so stay safe, stay healthy, stay fabulous. And I love you both very much. Oh, thank you. Right back at you. We love you too. Wow, 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 wow. Once again, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, I have to tip my tiara in awe 
And in thanks to my two very special guests, Tara Gardner and Pastor Ben Fitzgerald Fye, for coming, not just doing a fantastic job, but doing a fantastic job twice with handling this very difficult material with aplomb and dignity and, and, and compassion. And it's everything I wanted and more, except it's not all that I wanted because I also wanted to hear from you. If you're following on social media, you know that I'm part of this whole experience of doing head-to-head. And so I was asking people to send in voicemails and whatever notes they might have about either movie and even better, both movies compared to each other. They've slashed them and Children of Sin. I got a few, but we're running long, which is fine. And it also leaves the door open for a few more of you to get some information to me, some voicemails or emails, whatever you want. And to wet your whistle, I did get a response from Derek Hagen. Uh, you remember Derek Hagen. Derek Hagen guested on the show with Stan the Mechanic, John Hernandez, to talk about zombie strippers. And he played Ned in the fabulous I Had a Bloody Good Time at House Harker. Hi, Derek. He wrote in about Children of Sin. Um, it was actually a, a chat that I had with him, so this will be a little sporadic, but I just want to let you know what he thought. <clears throat> hey, Patrick, I watched Children of Sin, and I was really impressed by the writing and the acting. The head master woman was the absolute best, though. She was fucking terrifying. It was low budget, so I forgive the sound quality, but overall, I think they really did an exceptional job. There was a couple of things I thought they could cut, like it took 25 minutes to get to the camp, so there was a bit of pacing issues, but once they get to the camp and it picks up, it's great. And while Children of Sin isn't exactly perfect, I thought for the budget they had and even the experience they had, they did a great job. And honestly, the script is really, really, really good. It is truly a horror movie, and they had a lot to say, which is always the best horror movies. Thank you, Derek Hagen. So if you want to be like Derek Hagen, you can either leave me a voicemail over on the Scream Queens website, ScreamQueens.com, and of course, there's Queens with a Z. There's that little tab over on the right-hand side that says, leave me a voicemail. Hit the button, do that. Or you can record something yourself and send it to me via email at crew at ScreamQueens.com, or get it to me with through any of the social medias, which I'm going to go over now instead of at the end of the show. You can find me on Facebook at Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. You can find me on Instagram. And on threads at Scream Queens Podcast. One word. Because we are not done yet because I have to give you my final thoughts on Children of Sin. Buckle in. Here we go. Now, even though Tara and Ben and I talked for almost two hours about the movie, we really didn't scratch the surface of the plot at all. You can still watch the movie right now and still be surprised by tons of things that are going on because we talked in, in generalities. And even, even the ending, you know, well, that happens and that happens, but you don't know what happened between this thing and the other thing. So there are tons of surprises still waiting for you if you haven't seen the movie yet, which hopefully you have. But something that keeps coming back to me as I sit here editing is the character of Hank, the one that Christopher Moore played, the, the nephew who has been to the program who is now enforcing the program, but is also trying to get out because he's got a boyfriend and he's got his happy ever after waiting for him. The more I sit with this character, the more I realize how complex this character is. And it's deceptively so because of Christopher's charming portrayal of the character. He's charming. And the camera loves him, by the way, too. But you really feel bad for this guy. But then as I've been editing, I'm going, but he's just as bad as Mary Esther. This is a deeply deeply broken young man, possibly irrevocably broken. And yes, it's it's all well and good that you're having second thoughts about the program and you regret you've done in the past, but you don't just get to jump to a happy ending from that. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've done to these children. There has to be some sort of comeuppance. Now, if anything just happened as I was saying those words out loud, Pastor Ben just popped up in my ear. Not the actual Pastor Ben, but the Pastor Ben who now lives in my subconscious. And he said, Patrick, you know, that Old Testament eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth form of judgment. 
you know, it really never gets anybody anywhere. Could there be another more compassionate way towards forgiveness? Yes, you're probably right, Pastor Ben, since it is your job and everything, but I was raised Roman Catholic. In order for us to get forgiveness, there has to be some form of penance, and I don't see any penance. I don't see Hank being particularly sorry for what he's done. I see him feeling sorry for himself. He's not sorry for what he's done to the children. He's sorry he doesn't get to have a cute gardener boyfriend. Because you shouldn't just get to walk away from that. And it's cute that he's got a boyfriend now and they want to get away, but he's not going to help anybody else in the process. He's not he's not concerned with the kids. He's going to get his and get the fuck out. And I mentioned that there's the documentary on Netflix right now called Pray Away that Ryan, whatever his name is, the, the American Horror Story guy did about the ex-gay movement. And it reminded me of that. It reminded me of the original ex-gays. That's exactly what the ex-gays, the ex-gays uh, started this, this uh, movement. Realized it didn't work, got caught, and then just tried to sneak away and have their happy ever afters like nothing happened. That's exactly what Hank wanted to do. And one of the reasons I was so angry at that documentary is that it took no sides. It kind of came off as an apology video for all these original ex-gays who would be on camera saying, yeah, I know we ruined thousands of lives and people died because of what we taught them. No, scratch that. Because of what I taught them, even though I knew in my heart that what I was teaching them at the time was a complete and utter lie. I was really sad, too. I was really unhappy, and I'm still pretty unhappy now today. Shut up. No, sweetie. No, sweetie. You don't get to sneak out of this because you came up with the program. You came up with the torture. You got stuck in your own trap, and now I'm supposed to feel sorry for you? No. So I kind of feel same way about Hank. So fuck him. Hank is a monster. But Hank is a monster because he was a victim. Because he went through the program. And I realized it was like what Ben and I were talking about when Tara had dropped out of the show for a bit. When you are someone who is a quote-unquote fallen person. You know, you have a drug problem, or you have an alcohol problem, or you were homeless, or you were queer, and you went through a church program and they cured you, they will never let you forget that. And one of the ways they don't let you forget that is making you a minister for that sort of a thing. It's a way to keep an eye on you. It's a way to keep pointing out, look how good he's doing. Remember what a huge mess he was? Because we remember, we remember, but just look at him now. And in its own way, it's its own punishment. But when it comes to conversion therapy, the people who have survived the program and who are who seem to be successful with the program, now have to inflict the horrors of the program on other people and thus are also reliving their own horrors over and over and over and over and over again. And that's a freaking nightmare. So yeah, Hank's a victim. Mary Esther's a victim. Everybody's a victim in their own rights. Somebody did this to all of them. And it occurs to me now that there are two someones who's done this to all of them. And the movie calls out both of them. And for that, I have to tip... My hat, I have to tip my tiara to you, Christopher Moore, for that forever. And the someone that I'm talking about, it's not just the church. The church that sowed all these poisonous seeds that built this fucking death trap that is hollowing out the souls of children all over the goddamn world. But also the parents that put them there. The parents that listened to that shit, looked at their kid and said, nope, I'm sorry, I don't love you. I don't love you because you didn't come out the way I wanted you to. I can't love you like this. What a betrayal. What a sick Sick betrayal. As I've been doing research for these past two episodes, I've been reading up on a lot. I guess I've been watching the documentaries. I've been watching interviews with people who survived the camps, who've been through these uh, conversion therapy programs, how hard so many states are trying to fight to keep these twisted, twisted things in legal in their area because Jesus. It's affected my algorithms. So now the things that Google suggests to me are all about 
this kind of thing, how to cure your gay baby and all the, all the horrible press coming out of Florida and the don't say gay bill, but how it's working and all the horrible trans people doing horrible things and how we're all a bunch of groomers. It's soul sucking. But the thing that's really gotten to me, and this is weird, YouTube. YouTube has typed into this as well, and they keep suggesting the same hymn over and over again. Different people recording it, different styles, different eras, but the same hymn over and over and over every day for weeks now. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Um, shortly after we recorded this episode, um, and I got bombarded with another version of the song on YouTube, I just, it's something I've never talked about. And I figured, you know what? I've got Tara and I've got Pastor Ben. I'm going to group chat them and just tell them what's going on and how it's making me feel. So I'm just going to read. I, I, explained the, I explained the whole situation of what was going on, why the song keeps popping up. And I said, things I have never said out loud, this hymn fucking horrifies me. It's always horrified me. Washing in the blood of the Lamb has always been a part of Catholic Mass that gets mentioned, and it's always repulsed me because it just seems barbaric and fetishistic. But this hymn, which I did not hear until I was much older because it's way too upbeat and folksy for Catholic Church, there's something about this hymn, it's so damned cheery that it sounds deranged. And this peer pressure to be covered in the blood. They just keep asking the question over and over. Are you, are you washing the blood of the lamb? Are your garments spotless as the white as snow? Are you following Jesus? Do you love him? Are you having a blood on you? What happens if I say no? There's something insatiable about this bloodlust in the song, which I find terrifying. It almost seems to be not about Jesus. It's not about any sort of reverence for his sacrifice. It's just about dousing in his blood because we're so fucking dirty. And if you have to keep dousing in the blood, you must be doing something to keep you really dirty. And that all scares me. Plus, the song doesn't make sense. How can my garments be spotless and white as snow if they're dripping in the gore of the blood of the innocent? I don't get it. I'll never get it. It scares the fucking shit out of me. And I've never told anybody this before until I told our pastor Ben this. And that's 53 years of pent-up Catholic guilt. Right there. At 30 seconds. So the fact that this song keeps coming up with this movie, after researching this movie... Seems some kind of weird penance on my own, some weird self-inflicted hell. Because for some reason, I don't know why, every time it pops up on YouTube, I feel the need to listen. Every time. So this emotional state I've just worked myself up to, I'm doing this every day now. So I'm really, I, Patrick, you need to stop clicking on that link. Problem solved. Yes. When you put it in the context of this movie, I just keep thinking, like, yeah, that, that. think about all the innocent blood that is shed, either metaphorically or actually in these camps and because of these conversion therapy programs, innocent blood that has done no wrong. And the fact they just want more and it's a rising tide. Like Pastor Ben said, there's a faction of the population out there that just wants us dead. And I don't know what else to say, but it scares the fucking shit out of me. So before we wrap up, please remember, there's that resist bot link down in the show notes. Please do what you can. Send a quick note to your senators, your congresspeople. Let them know this shit's got to stop.
at least get your voice out there. It's the very least thing that you can do. Okay, so, whew, shake it off, shake it off, shake it off like Taylor Swift. Woo. Fortunately, next time we're going to be doing a really fun, upbeat movie. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do Starry Eyes. It's a tale of the Hollywood and Tinseltown and dreams gone awry because dreams may come true, but they don't come free. Dreams require sacrifice. I'm going to be joined by Maya Murphy and Matt Knife, and you can play along at home and watch Starry Eyes just about anywhere. It's on Amazon Prime. It is on Peacock. It is on Tubi. It is on Pluto. And we're going to have a great time because I got theories about this film. So... Until next time, my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful screamers, please continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place and do that by never, ever forgetting the Scream Queen's golden rule. Please say it along with me. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay fabulous. Amen. The music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.